this week on The Futurists. DAOs are this idea that the community should self-perpetuate and self-govern. And that has never worked until we had this technology, right? So the entire DAO space is a big experiment right now with how much can community self-govern without leadership. And you, in my humble opinion, if you have the right governance engine and consensus mechanism available, the governance revolves around work to earn. The product itself becomes the, the focal point for community audit. So in other words, if I do a job, I don't need to report to a person who's then reporting to the community. I, I report my job to the community. Here's my job work product posted on the blockchain or on a centralized data database. We, we, we can be chain agnostic with this in DAOs right now. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a smart contract. Here on The Futurist, one of the things we always like to think about is what's coming next and who are the people that are helping to craft the future and how do they go about doing that? But the future has very, very deep roots in the past. And so whenever we think about the future, we're always finding ourselves looking back at how do we arrive at this particular moment in history and where do we come from? One of the things that's been on my mind for quite some time is the future of the firm or the future of the company. Most of us tend to sleepwalk uh, through our business lives. We go to the go to go to work. We show up. We don't really think about the organization that we work for. Where did it come from? Where did this structure emerge from? How did corporations develop over time? And what's fascinating to me about corporations is that for a period of more than four hundred years, humanity has only had one answer to a question, and the question is: How do we best deploy capital? to create an organization for profitable productivity? And the answer has been a joint stock corporation since the very earliest corporations, like the, the English East India Company and the Dutch East India Company in 1600 and 1602. Of course, there have been some developments since then, but all the alternatives that have been propositioned in the ensuing 400 years have either been nonprofits or government institutions, or they simply haven't worked. Um, I'm thinking now of things like Mikhail Bakunin's collective and collective anarchy. Um, interesting concepts, maybe concepts that were a little too early in time, but one concept that has been durable for centuries is the corporation. And so this week on The Futurist, what I want to talk about is the future of the organization. And is it possible now that we're at the brink of something entirely new? Joining me this week is an expert at the intersection of business, law, and technology. He's a professor, he's a prolific writer, but for our program, perhaps most importantly, he's the leader and one of the key organizers of one of the most interesting new organizations to emerge in the past two years, DevDAO. We're going to be talking about DAOs today, and here to join me is Wolf Kahl. Professor Kahl, welcome to The Futurists. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here this morning. Um, I'm sorry that my, my colleague, Brett King, can't be here today. He's Right now, he's on a flight somewhere over the middle of the Indian Ocean. So for obvious reasons, he can't join. He sends his regards. But this is a super interesting topic that I know he would enjoy as well, because he's very fond of economics and finance. Those are areas of strength for him. So in that spirit, let's, let's dive into it. Um, Talk, tell me a little bit about the corporation, because I know it's a topic that you've written about and you understand very well and you teach about. 
Uh, is my potted history of the 400 years of the corporation more or less accurate? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, this is uh, the instrument for uh, capital allocation and uh, capital raising uh, around 350 plus years. And um, yeah, so it's uh, started with Ronald Coase, uh, CEO of the firm. Uh, major institutional economists has jumped have jumped on on this as well. And uh, to disclose this up front, that's where I'm coming from. Right, I'm, I'm trained as an institutional economist, uh, and my PhD supervisor was uh, a very prolific uh, professor, an institutional economist, um, and his peers. Include uh, Douglas North, Oliver Williamson, Rudolf Richter, uh, several of the uh, institutional economist uh, powerhouses, and that's where my training came from, and that's how I got into this environment of of DAOs. Uh, when realizing that dynamic governance uh, of institutions is actually possible with technology, and this is something that um, we couldn't have theorized before. Because right. the technology just wasn't there, right? You that's couldn't exactly theorize right. this film. Sorry, I, well, I could keep going on. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's quite all right. right. Forgive me for yeah. interrupting you, but the uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna want to hold on that topic of governance, the dynamic governance, because it's, it's a gigantic topic, and it's probably gonna be the central conversation point. But before we jump into that, let's take one step back for people who are new to the concept. Let's talk a little bit about what is a DAO, so a decentralized autonomous organization. So. Intelligent minds will beg to differ on, on the definition of a DAO. There are certain commonalities, however, that um, I personally believe are um, uh, identifying landmark uh, pieces for DAOs. Um, they, they will not necessarily be shared by the community. So I want to disclose this up front. A lot of people right now look at DAOs as a fundraising vehicle. I humbly disagree with that definition. Um, to me, DAOs is all about governance. And again, I come from this as an institutional economist with this perspective of the firm and how we can create uh, dynamical uh, rule changes in governance uh, to lend stability to institutions, right? That's, that's what DAOs are made for. The crypto landscape is, however, filled with thousands, tens of thousands of DAOs that are set up for fundraising purposes, right? So... When I, when I give you my definition for, for a DAO environment, this is my perspective on it. Uh, other people have other ideas about it, right? But, but that's a helpful most... disclaimer that kind of illustrates one of the key points about this, is, which is it's not just a formative concept, but it's also controversial. There are many, many perspectives. Yeah. So yeah. We, we accept your disclaimer, but please proceed. Tell us and, more about the DAO. And Robert, this comes from this whole discussion on what is decentralized, right? Um, because when we, so, so you can't talk about DAOs and defining DAOs without defining your understanding of what decentralization actually means, right? And so, and I don't want to necessarily get into that entire debate, but there are certain commonalities that in, in decentralized systems. So for me, decentralization involves bringing information from the edges um, and attack resistance, right? Those are absolutely crucial, crucial pers perspective on this. And um, many of us will have read the, the book Starfish and the Spider, and that's the, the very uh, sort of intuitive analogy, right? The spider, which has the, the nervous system in the center that, that co co coordinates the, um, the, the legs, 
if you cut a leg off, it can can survive. If you cut two leg, legs off, it, it tilts to the to one side. However, if you cut the spider in half, you're creating two fully visible, two fully um, uh, workable uh, eco systems. You're creating new new spiders, right? And that's that's a key element in decentralized systems, right? They're not as efficient, clearly. You know, having worked through DAOs. Uh, we get this all the time. Why does this take so long, right? Well, it takes time to coordinate community engagement, but you get attack resistance out of this, right? And so when we talk about DAOs, it, it all starts, governance is not a bug. Governance is the key feature, right? So a lot of the DAOs uh, that started some five, six years ago, first generation DAOs, they all came to this with this perspective of, oh, let's slap on a governance system at the end because we know we have to do this. Here's our smart contracts, they coordinate everything. No, that's not what this is, right? The smart contracts are key, but they're, they're key in the context of governance engagements for the community. Because if you don't have sustainable governance and incentivization, as we see now, all these DAOs are collapsing, right? Um, even the ones that have a lot of assets, right? There's a small group that holds and controls it, but there is no community engagement. So you, you're not bringing information from the edges of the system, integrating uh, new talent in, and you're not focused on attack resistance because you haven't actually figured out the governance, uh, the, 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 the necessary decentralization elements in governance. Yeah. Well, so you you just packed into that statement all the topics that I wanted to cover in this show. So let's let's go back. Let's rewind a little bit sure. and unpack each of those very important ideas that you shared with us. Because what you've been talking about is resilience, you know, the ability to withstand attacks, an organization that's responsive to people on the periphery or people on the edge, very different from what a corporation does. Corporations are highly centralized and candidly not that responsive to the workers or the people that are inside the machine or even customers necessarily. Uh, they're more responsive to regulators and to and to the board of directors. Uh, and so uh, that's quite a big contrast. And yeah. then you, you've been talking a lot about uh, governance, and I know we're going to go into the topic because it's a super interesting topic. But before we jump into that, I think we still need to clarify for people what a DAO is. Let's break it down word by word. So you talked about decentralized. That's the first one, right? Decentralized autonomous organization. And of course, decentralized is a topic you're deeply familiar with because that's the title of your book. You're the author. You wrote the book on the subject, the the, the, uh, the reference textbook, Decentralization by Wolf Kahl. Uh, so this is an organization that is going to be different from a corporation, which we would consider highly centralized, hierarchical, top-down. Uh, you know, there's a CEO, there's a C-suite. That function of that CEO is to make executive decisions. And this concept is non-existent in a DAO. There is no C-suite. There's no CEO. So you have to think of it as community organization and coordination, mm -hmm. right? There is the community itself coordinates itself. There is no leadership. In, in DAOs, we call leaders catalysts, right? You're catalyzing a community. You're, you're starting and kick it off and then you let it go because the process is self-perpetuating, right? So the... People often fall back into it, but a key element is leaderlessness, if you want. Yeah. That the yeah. community is itself is, is coordinating its efforts. And for that, you need the correct consensus algorithm, right? The consensus making tool sets in the DAO that allow people to, to, to get the endorphin rush, to, to want to engage because they know it's meaningful and they get paid for it, 
right? And what you're talking about now, this idea of the consensus making method, that gets us to the second word, the autonomous part, right? So the first part, decentralized, that means there's an absence of executive leadership. And in that absence, in that void, what fills it is a series of smart contracts. And we'll have to talk a little bit about that before we get into governance, because the two things are intimately linked. So um, Vitalik Buterin, who, who created Ethereum, wrote in, in 2014, he talked about DAOs as a concept and said that you could take any corporation and express its mission statement as a series of if-then statements. And if you had a, more, a powerful enough computer and good smart contracts, you could run that entire organization on a series of smart contracts. In other words, you could create a decentralized, autonomous organization. Yeah, Tell but me then a you, you would just be trying to emulate the centralized structure with smart contracts, which is not what DAOs are about, right? They can be. And there's a lot of people that are moving in this direction, but DAOs are about community building from the inside out, grassroots community building. So allowing people who don't know each other and who are ideally anonymized, coordinate their, their efforts and trust each other. That's what this is. That's what this is that, about. And that's a lot of what you do, right? That's a big part of your role at that, that, about, at that, that is, we are We are currently five years in uh, with a lot of money at stake. Uh, building what I have described in the book. Um, but we are about a year or maybe two away from getting to a system where, where we can actually build DAOs completely anonymized. And even then, even if we have the cryptographic methodologies down, which we're currently coding, you would still struggle anonymizing it entirely, right? This is an iterative process that takes time. And um, maybe the, if you talk to developer teams, there's a lot of developers who are saying it's a, it's, a, um, it's a fallacy to think that we can anonymize, but we can, we, can, we can hope to anonymize it more for the average user, which actually liberates us from a lot of the, if you want the human condition, uh, our biases, our inherent biases that we can't get rid of and that undercut our ability to engage with each other and quite frankly, to do effective business with each other, right? So this is also a new way of doing business, uh, community-based business. And we're already seeing this in, in many DAOs that I'm personally involved with right now. Now, you've talked about an anonymity quite a lot. I'm wondering, why is that so essential? Why is it necessary to support anonymity in a DAO? The system just works better and removes the a lot of the, the problems that you're otherwise dealing with in trying to run decentralized communities, right? Mm -hmm. um, why? Because if people know each other, power structures uh, start to emerge that undercut the decentralized nature of the, of the, of the community. Um, you know, you have power centers, you have you have whales, you have people identifying whales, and it's not about the merit that people put into the system and how they gain their reputation scores in the system, which is what, what should only matter, right? It shouldn't matter who what you've done before. It only matters what you're doing in the community, for the community, with the community, which is inherent in the score that you're getting through the voting engine, right? If you don't anonymize all these other factors that afflict us, you know, race, socioeconomic status, culture, the ability to engage in other business uh, ventures, et cetera, et cetera, they afflict us. They, they affect how we vote. They, they affect how we engage with each other. So if you can't anonymize, you're bringing in all these problems that afflict the corporation and other structures that uh, are suboptimally working. 
Okay. So somebody with a huge, um, let's say a gigantic profile, someone with maybe a gigantic social media influence, let's say a very charismatic CEO who runs an auto company, for instance, um, can start to sway people's opinions, maybe influence them unduly, even if what he's proposing makes no sense at all. Uh, he can he can have a great deal of influence. So by anonymizing, you remove that element of charismatic appeal, um, and and uh, and now all that's left is an anonymous reputation score. Um, that that is person earned. obviously still has a lot of merit and would very quickly become quote unquote a superstar in the system, but organically, without the the baggage of the past. Right? I mean. It's about the skill set that this person brings to the table. And if you're that good, you you will organically create a very high merit score, reputation score in a system, but not with the resume of the past things that you've done that undercut the community engagement through merit, right? It's it's a meritocracy. It's all about what do you what do you give to the community? What can you do for the community? How good are you at doing it? How much are you following through? What is your work ethic? And based on the upvotes in the community audit pertaining to your work product, people build reputation scores and that's what counts in the system. It doesn't, your resume doesn't count. Now you might say, well, you built a resume through a lifetime of experiences. Of course, those lifetime experiences count, but anybody can come on, right? So there's the people now who are uh, talking the, the, about the school of life, right? There's a whole, there are programs and centralized systems where we're using the school of life to get people on track um, because they don't necessarily succeed in the centralized hierarchical structures that we, that that we create in, as as a society. Yeah, and um, in DAOs, you don't even need to create these programs because the entire entire engagement is about the merit and what you can bring to the community. Right. Okay. So let's let's actually look back at the corporation and and apply a little crit, uh, critical lens to the corporation. You know, clearly corporations have been durable in history because they seem to be the most effective way to deploy capital for profitable enterprise, at least historically, that's been the case. Um, and of course, deploying capital is risky, right? Let's let's think back to those early days of the corporation where every time a ship, ship left the harbor, there was a risk that that ship might not come back. And the investors who staked the capital for that ship, well, they'd lose it all. And so people uh, could be ruined in that process. So the corporation was a way to mitigate risk of course, those investors demanded certain protections, certain controls to ensure that the corporation carried out the mission that they asked it to do. And that's you know ancient history at this point. But even today, we can say that that's largely how corporations are governed, that there is a board of directors that represents investors. The investors are concerned about risk. And so the board of directors' responsibility is to keep an eye on the management of the company and ensure that they're carrying out the mission. Now, who's left out of the equation here, of course, are workers, um, the people inside the organization who might have excellent ideas. Um, every person listening to this has had the experience of working at a company where they feel like the employees know more than the management team does. And this also creates something else, which is the agent problem. Uh, tell me a little bit about the agent problem, because this is kind of like an age-old criticism of corporations. And finally, a doubt presents an alternative to the agent problem. Yeah. So... That's really where I, I got started with this about, about a decade ago. Uh, the principal agent problem, right? We've never been able to overcome this. Um, the principal uh, is delegating authority to the agent. The agent has boots on the ground, um, knows more, 
inevitably the agent will not be able to transmit all his or her information to the to the principal, which leads to information asymmetries, uh, bounded rationality, uh, opportunistic behaviors, all the terrible things that affect, capital, affect and afflict capitalism in the way we're engaging with us with each other. And so we're building the corporation and all these control mechanisms top down to mitigate principal agent uh, problems and bring down agency cost. Yeah? So arguably, in a DAO, there is no principal agent engagement because it's a flat hierarchical, non-hierarchical structure. It's a flat hierarchy, right? In you fact, there's no investor people. class, right? There's there's no okay. board of directors. Yeah, there is no board of directors. There is no, again, there's, there's catalysts that are the mm-hmm. founders of the community that kick it off. Mm-hmm. And they have a high reputation score, right? Which they sh- they need to have, right? So we, and sorry, I don't want to get into the weeds. We've been through yes, this. No, no, we'll get into years. the weeds in a moment. Okay. But so this is um, really this is really worth unpacking. Yeah. So, so what you're saying, Wolf, is um, when we say principal and agent, what we mean here is you know, the principal in this case is the investor, uh, maybe maybe represented by the board of directors. That's the principal, and then the agent is the executives that they hire, the management of the company. Um, you know, so for and those who are listening, fiduciary duty rules in yeah. law to to make sure uh, that the interests of the agency, the board, and uh, the officers are aligned with the the owners. Um, right. And you know, this is this old problem in corporate law: uh, separation of ownership and control. Just hundreds of thousands of articles written about it, terabytes of data. It has never worked, never could work. Uh, and we, everybody knows about this. Yeah. I mean, the so, examples would be things like a disengaged uh, investor, a passive investor, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. The, or a board of directors that's uninformed and doesn't know what it's doing, or a board of directors yeah. that breaks its fiduciary obligation. Correct. But of course, you always have the issue of crazy CEOs who run off and do things that really are not authorized necessarily or they kind of um you know in a way Which they can all, all comes back the to the principal agent problem right this is that's the, right. the that's entire right. problem that we have okay and so, so DAOs, for those yeah so DAOs are like the alternative to this right DAOs are this idea that the community should self-perpetuate and self-govern and that has never worked until we had this technology right so the entire DAO space is a big experiment right now with how much can community self-govern without leadership? And you, in my humble opinion, if you have the right governance engine and consensus mechanism available, the governance revolves around work to earn. The product itself becomes the, the focal point for community audit. So in other words, if I do a job, I don't need to report to a person who's then reporting to the community. I, I report my job to the community. Here's my job work product posted on the blockchain or on a centralized state database. We, we can be chain agnostic with this in DAOs right now. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a smart contract, but we can get into those details later, right? Great. Here's my work product. Um, so Wolf, you're telling us now uh, that the DAO represents this alternative to these age old problems in the corporation. I'm fascinated to hear how that might work. Uh, the topic, of course, is governance in DAOs. We're listening to the futurists, and my guest today is Wolf Kahl. We're going to take a break, and in just a few minutes, we'll be back, and we'll tell you all about how a DAO actually operates and what it's like to govern one of them. Hang on, you're listening to the futurists, and we'll be right back after this break. 
Welcome to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. I'm Brett King. And I'm Jason Henricks. Every week since 2013, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in financial services. From incumbents to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help create a more innovative, inclusive, and healthy financial future. I'm J.P. Nichols, and this is Breaking Banks. You're listening to The Futurists. I'm Rob Tursik, and my guest today is Wolf Kahl. Professor Kahl is an expert in DAO's decentralized autonomous organizations. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about some of the problems that have plagued corporations for centuries, uh, what we call the agent principle problem. There are many manifestations of that. And DAOs represent an alternative, possibly a solution to many of those problems. And the main thing there is that the DAO doesn't have a top-down hierarchy. There is no CEO, there's no C-suite, and there's no board of directors. Instead, it's a community-led, community-driven organization that strives for consensus. There are two concepts here that are really central to understanding a DAO. The first one is how do you achieve consensus? And the second one is what is the function of the smart contract? Now, Wolf, a lot of people think a DAO is basically a robot corporation that's run by smart contracts. What do you think about that? Okay, so that's where everything started. It's very important that we understand the transaction cost minimization potential that smart contracts have. Very important, um, but we cannot get carried away by smart contracts alone, right? So when we talk about optimizing top-down hierarchical structures with smart contracts and removing transaction costs, that's the origin of, of smart contracts, right? So if A, then B. It's a very simplified format um, in which these contracts work. However, the more we build smart contract superstructures that potentially can govern real estate transactions, uh, very complex, uh, high liability engagements, every time we do something like this and we build smart contracts bigger and bigger even the small uh, smart the small, smaller smart contracts have bugs and uh, logic breaks that afflict them right so this idea engineers come in and says yeah we're automating everything right until <laughs> this is every day with talking to engineers that's great yeah we get transaction costs are minimized which is a, a big ticket item uh, in theory of the firm right so that that but that's only the starting point. When you automate with smart contracting, including big structures, you're bringing uh, bringing in other attack vectors. They come from bugs, uh, unanticipated functions, um, uh, and so forth. And also, very importantly, most importantly, what do we do in anonymous, decentralized, and autonomous systems if we let smart contracts? without a human backstop, govern our relationships. In my humble opinion, it brings out the worst in humans because you are not accountable. The contract takes care of your conduct. It is only this one-off. And in this smart contract engagement, you are not penalized. You just walk away. You can act your worst and walk away because it's all automated. We trust the code, right? That's a really good point. You can, sorry, go ahead. No, that's a really this good point. Really You're reminding me, this is uh, this is actually, this goes back to the original DAO, the DAO. It's confusing yeah. because the name of the organization was the DAO. 
which was a, a kind of um, community investment organization. Just to, you know, we can think of it as like an, an, uh, an investment fund. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an investment fund that was governed by the investors themselves, without without a management team. Um, and it was an interesting concept. It was uh, created in 2016, but there were some flaws. There were known vulnerabilities yeah. okay, in the so, smart contracts. Yeah. And one so of the this... users exploited those. But it was actually controversial, right? Because some people said, well, he stole money, he stole a third of the money. About um, r- roughly $50 million of capital was stolen, essentially taken away. But other people said, no, actually, the smart contract permitted that. That was a flaw in the smart contract. And he, he did not do anything that was not permitted. This became highly controversial and actually kind of besmirched the reputation of DAOs for a couple of years. It took a few years to kind of work past that. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so this is just the, the typical, um, hey, you know, I'm automating payments and I, I don't know what the code really does ultimately. And somebody identifies, a hacker identifies the flaw and then siphons off funds, puts them into a wallet that nobody else controls, including himself, because the code only allowed that. And so the assets were just sitting there. And then as a result of that, we um, we had a, a hard fork uh, in Ethereum, right? That created yeah, right. Ethereum Classic. Okay. So that, but that is just uh, hacking. What I'm talking about is the long-term implications of these smart contracts and building more complex uh, smart contracts without a human backstop, right? So there is Hacking smart contracts, bugs, and unanticipated consequences that hackers can exploit, they will they are always present. And the more complex structures you build, the more of these opportunities you create for the hacker communities. Okay. But what I am talking, so that's that's a natural uh, uh, side product, if you want. But what I'm talking about is the the impact of automation on human behavior, right? If if I automate Humans, and this is Arrow's impossibility theorem, right? In one application, humans will always try to find ways to game the system, right? That's and so when, when the more you put smart contracts up, the more gaming opportunities there are. So what you absolutely need is you need dynamical governance. The system has to change constantly in order to avoid the gaming opportunities. Right? Okay, so tell us about and, dynamic governance because okay, you've been well, going there since the beginning of the <laughs> so, conversation. So, so there's, there's dynamic governance. There's a lot of... Uh, okay, there's a lot of topics. Yeah. But let, let's before we talk about dynamic governance, it's this idea that if the contract allows you to do X and you know you're not going to get penalized, it's just one contract, you can act your worst because the contract allows it. And by the way, we've seen this play out in DAOs. Okay, I've witnessed it firsthand where people say, what do you mean? The system allows it. If the system allows it, I can act like that. Well, no, you can't. Just because the smart contract... See, this is this problem with information asymmetries. Humans are boundedly rational. We cannot program these smart contracts to anticipate all eventualities. That's right. Because we can't do that, people will come in and exploit it. So what we need is... We need a, a human backstop for smart contracts. And, and Robert, that is DAOs. That is, the, that is one of the foundational elements for DAOs, where the community holds people accountable for is, their actions. Is right? that what the reputation token does? Is Correct. that the function of the reputation that's, token? That is exactly right. Yeah. So if so I do something that's egregious, even though the rules might permit it, that's the right. community is going to say, no, dude, that was completely wrong, and we're going to deprecate your reputation. That's exactly right. And and the interesting thing is that people are still in this, oh, especially engineering communities where all of this started, they're in, in this, oh, the smart contract allowed it, so, well, we're bad luck. We can't do anything about it. No, 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 no. This is community values. This is 
how you think people should act. If you think this is nefarious, the community should be able to uh, to slash your reputation because it, because we would expect the person to know that that conduct was wrong. Yeah? Okay, so this is really interesting what you're saying, Wolf. This is new to me. So the reputation token is not just a reflection of my technical acumen or my professionalism. It's also my ethics, uh, my Absolutely. ethics and, and how much I adhere to the community uh, bylaws or the community, you know, the community ethic. This is a really interesting notion. So that is a really powerful indicator of who I am. Uh, in a way, it's, it tells you more about my identity than my name. In That's an anonymous exactly right. system, my reputation That's score is a better communicator of identity. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, we mandate that people stake reputation towards any action they are asking of the community. Right. So if you if you say, I have a wonderful proposal for the community, well, show us how serious you are by staking your, your blood and sweat of what you earned with these tokens. Show us how, how much you're staking, because okay. that shows us how serious you are. And okay, how much so we have to your... explain this. We have to explain this part yeah. because I'm afraid nobody's going to understand it. It's yeah. it's when we when Wolf is talking about reputation, what he's actually talking about are tokens, basically coins, cryptocurrency that's been issued. But it's not like typical cryptocurrencies. It's not Bitcoin that we're talking about here. These are tokens that are governance tokens. They're used within the system to govern the DAO. This is the this is what we have as a substitute for or an alternative to top-down management. Each person in the community accumulates rep reputation tokens based on their contribution to the community. That might be leadership. That might be contributions in terms of software or building something. Maybe something else like marketing or attracting customers. And of course, there's also the policing function that is to, to do with quality control and the work that's been done. So there's a lot of work to be done inside of a DAO, basically all the functions you might expect in a corporation. And what people are paid, instead of being paid cash for that, they earn reputation tokens. But what we just heard Wolf say, it's really important. Every time there's a big decision, the rest of the community wants to know how committed are you to this decision? And you stake your reputation. Essentially, you're staking your salary, your, what you've been paid. You're putting that on the line and you're it's saying, I'm willing to bet salary. this. It's more than a salary. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I'll explain. No, no, it's okay. Go, you go for it. So, so yeah, you, you stake your reputation tokens. And we have to understand these tokens are controlling how much you're actually getting paid, right? So if yeah. Robert has 100 reputation tokens and I have 10 and the community uh, engages in a payout decision, Robert gets ten, paid 10 times more than I am because I'm just not as good as Robert. Right? That can be a function of having spent more time with the down, having done better work, having done more policing actions, et cetera, et cetera. Right? But it's all about reputation. Right? The, the, and it's fascinating to watch. Once people understand this, how behavior changes in DAOs. It's really fascinating. I can't wait when we have all the data and can run regressions on this and see what, what, the, what the functions are and how, how reputation really helps change human behavior in the system. When now, people again, see that they might lose their stake, they might, correct. They're, gonna, they're gonna start to behave differently. Yes. Give me, a, give it, me an example. Like what, what, give me a, a real example of that if you can. So, um, okay. Let's you know, how say has someone is, lost tokens and changed their behavior? Uh, so do, let's, so, uh, sorry, this is going a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, so what we do in this DAO, with this DAO engine is we, the DAO engine is a consensus building mechanism. And in order to build consensus, what we do is we are doing, we're engaging in two rounds of voting. One vote is how do you feel about this generically, right? Um, so people look at look at a proposal and then 
read about it and then vote their conscience. Nobody penalizes you. Nobody, there's no tyranny of the majority where you're constantly worried about, well, am I, am I winning this vote? Am I on the majority side? And who are, who are the whales who are voting, right? Anybody can vote their, their conscience. Just vote what you think. And see, this is super important because we're bringing information from the edges and we're bringing unique talents to the, to the table, right? How much do you stake of your hard-earned reputation? And it doesn't count, right? It doesn't count first time. At the end of the vote, we, we tally the vote and everybody sees how the community felt about this proposal. Yeah? Now, we are, we are, we've created a an impression of community sentiment on a given proposal. Everybody now sees how everybody else felt about this. And now the actual vote starts. Now it's, you can, you can, let's say you, let's say you, Robert, were in the minority, right? You, you stake quite a bit of your reputation, but you see at the end of the vote, oh, I was in the minority, despite my high stake, the rest of, of the, the people in this DAO feel differently. Now, what do you do? Do you stick to your guns and say, I don't care if I lose this? Or are you saying, well, maybe I don't care that much about it. And I can see their point of view and it's a majority and I see how much they stick. And I respect these people, right? Because they have a certain reputation score. They earned this. And so- The main thing is, you know, you're going to lose your tokens, right? So that's a very you, powerful well, lever. Well, that's the other thing. You, if you, you can double down and go all in. Right. Or you say, OK, uh, but this is the game theoretical evaluation with every single vote. You see how the community feels. You can compare what you think yeah. and how you feel about it. Um, but you are, and we see this in the data, 99% of all the cases, people side on the majority. OK, so you do like a sentiment analysis first. That's the first vote. It's, it's a yeah. soft vote. It's non-binding. Correct. But we're going to just see where people stand on an issue. And it might end up being something like 48% feel one way, 52% feel another yeah. way. Is there any opportunity for undecided or do you have to vote one way or the other? Is it always binary? If you don't vote, you cannot participate in the payout. And do you lose reputation over time if you if you refrain from Only voting? through inflation. Only through inflation. Okay. And do you have people... to bet all of your tokens uh, each time? Do you have to stake all, or is it no, just no, a no, portion? No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> Never. Of course not. You you signal how much you care by staking, and the 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 the, the stake amount signals how much you care. Okay. Right? Okay. Oh, okay. So this is like the weighted voting systems that we hear about in radical markets, uh, in that book, Radical Markets. Quadratic voting, you know, where you can buy additional votes if you're willing to yeah. spend, uh, uh, concentrate your voting power. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. So this is a real world deployment of those concepts. Um, great. And so there's a real risk. Uh, if you're adamant, if you're if you're going to stand on principle, you end up losing. It really will cost you some reputation. You're you're really you're really making a huge it, it gamble. It doesn't there. just cost you reputation. It costs you all the future cash flows that are paid out pro, pro rata to your reputation score. Okay, but then does so that lead to becomes, a tyranny of the majority? Is that is that a, a situation then where like the mass majority will always win and the, maybe there's a brilliant minority that's going to be outvoted every time? Yeah, but they they had they had the, their vote, right? You see what the minority says, you see the reasoning, the forum shows what their opinion <laughs> is on a given issue. So there's a forum debate, uh, ideally on a blockchain, but doesn't have to be. And at, at the end of the debate, the community now stakes in the informal vote, right? We call that loosely coupled voting, where we're just taking a sentiment. Now everybody sees the brilliant minority and 
you, there's another governance variable that goes into, which is the length of debate between the first vote and the second vote. The, the community can review the evidence that the, the brilliant minority might, might put forward, and the brilliant minority actually has a shot at changing voting outcomes because they, they can educate their people. And quite frankly, if it's a key governance issue, you may actually see the minority saying, okay, well, if, if this doesn't work, we, we're going to go somewhere else. We're going to make sure that we're taking out brilliant minority people and provide services in another engagement, right? So, Does that happen? Um, do do DAOs split apart? Do people sometimes feel so strongly that they say, "I'm going to take my tokens and leave and go start a new start a new DAO"? It hasn't happened to me yet, but what <laughs> what has happened is that DAOs seed other DAOs because they need highly specialized community services. This is happening all the time. And by the way, Robert, this is something that's important. We may want to talk a lot about a little bit, also in the context of uh, contrasting corporations. We're talking about horizontal versus vertical scaling, right? So uh, vertical scaling, the Facebooks, the corporations, they're all about centralized power structures to make more money for the power structures and for the uh, controlling shareholders and the, the decision makers in, in this power structure, right? Now we're talking about the 10 Qs, the, 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 the 8Ks uh, and, uh, the, the, and other uh, metrics under federal securities laws that are pushing agents, boards and, and officers to make more money quicker, right? So in the hierarchical structure, where's the next unicorn, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas in the DAO environment, we're talking about horizontal scaling. We're talking about communities seeding other communities to get services provided to the first community, right? And we've seen this. Uh, the DevX style alone has now what four four service provider communities at different wow. stages of development. Yeah. Last time I spoke to you, there were two, so it's growing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's growing rapidly. We're going to have to set another up another three very soon. Wow. So. Um, so that's baked in. That part of the concept is that the DAO will seed new DAOs. In our experience, it's inevitable because you just—it's all about more specialized communities, right? Does um, entropy set in at a certain point, though? Does something get so fragmented that it starts to fall apart? Uh, so, and and this is this is again how you how you're looking at the space, right? We're used to saying let's put everything in the power structure and report up. Whereas yeah. in the DAO environment, it's the other way around. You horizontally scale, you're creating more communities that are then cooperating with each other. And everything is fully transparent. Now, you might say, yeah, okay, so if, if a given community, entropy, as you're saying, it doesn't attract the jobs, yes, of course, that community should fail, right? But it failed because it didn't have the right talent to provide the right jobs. And the community gets seeded if the first community recognizes is the expertise that the new community is providing. And based on that expertise, they have a revenue source that they are then sharing in this community, right? And based on these, these horizontal scaling structures that I'm talking about, I personally believe this will ultimately end up in a new form of, of, of business where, where communities are engaging with each other in business, not central, centralized power hubs. Um, with all the principal Asian problems that we illustrated. Well, it's a really interesting point, right? Because uh, early in the beginning, I talked a little bit about how corporations are set up to guarantee or to ensure the maximum ROI, return on investment, for capital. And the issue there is how do we protect capital? You have to do something with capital. You can't just put it in a, in a box under your bed. You've got to put it to work. But how do we do that 
and yet minimize the risks that the capital is going to be lost. And here what we're, we're talking about, what's interesting, we haven't really talked about capital at all. We've talked about effort, right? Effort. So everybody has the ability to contribute work. Even if we don't have a lot of capital, we all can contribute work and ideas and uh, direction and so forth. Uh, we can all participate in a community in some level or another. And so this is there a role for capital in the DAO? And, and how does that work? You said earlier the DAO is not, is not a vehicle for fundraising, but there are plenty so, of capital intensive industries. You know, I'm thinking of manufacturing or the energy industry or even artificial intelligence. These are industries that require tremendous amounts of capital because you have to build out infrastructure to make them work. Can those be handled with the DAO? Is there a way for a DAO to handle large amounts of capital? Okay, so it depends what handling uh, here entails. <laughs> yeah. um, the there's two models that that I've been working with that I think work. One is this idea that there is a benevolent dictator who provides capital, and it's it's the less 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 favorable model in my humble opinion. And then the, there is the the work to earn model where a community, and I'll get back to the first in a second, um, where the so work to earn model is the pure model um, where the community attracts market-based fees for their expertise. Right. The market pays the community. The community audits its its work product from from its workers, yeah. and pays out according to this distribution mechanism. Yeah, mm -hmm. that runs through reputation. And, and you can see that mechanism working for software development because there's Absolutely. not a huge capital. That's where it's all going. Exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. That's where that's why we have the code review DAO already, which provides right. exactly these types of services to the DevX DAO in this case. And by extension, so, it might work for creative industries as well, absolutely. like a design firm or exactly. you know, even I know people are experimenting with music DAOs now. That's exactly what's going DAOs. on. So we have uh, quite a few clients out of Europe and and uh, Silicon Valley media companies that are now starting to evaluate how this can actually work to let the, the creative communities coordinate themselves and then generate uh, fees, market-based fees for the creative communities. Okay, so then there is this other model, which goes back to our earlier point about um, the capital, right? So the, the benevolent dictator here is saying, I, I want X from this community. Here's a pot of money. I will make this, this, this money available for distribution if the community gives me why, yeah? So the, that is possible and it's a workable uh, way of, for the community to, di to distribute these assets, but it creates less optimal flows, right? The, 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 so how, how do you, I don't know if you know the story about the, the, the Apaches, right? The Apaches were a tribe that didn't have leaders, were decentralized communities. Um, they were they were ungovernable. They were they couldn't be taken over. If somebody killed a pr prominent member, the, the tribe would just keep moving and, and you know fold the, the tens and keep moving somewhere else. And we would become actually more powerful because they were less less centered around a community community leader, right? And, so and the what chiefs you do, couldn't command anyone to do anything. They had no power to enforce right. an edict. They only that's could exactly persuade. Right. Exactly, and they didn't have talking. a concept. Right, and and they didn't have a concept for. Uh, property, right? There was no such thing. People just used things and helped each other. Um, and so <clears throat> Spanish invaders that took over the Incas, they, they encountered the, the Apaches and moving north from, from Inca territory, and they could never overcome the, the Apaches. They just, they, uh, Apaches would just keep moving and morphing as a society that, that couldn't be pinned down. So how, what did they do? Well, they introduced the concept of 
property to them by giving them cows and saying, hey, here, take the cow, milk the cow, eat the cow. And all of a sudden it became around this, this asset, right? Whereas before you just did a service, the community helped, the community benefited from it and everybody lived together through this. Yeah. Um, you were you were more way more attack resistant and you distributed your assets much better now you have the cow all of a sudden you need to protect the cow farm around the cow uh, hoard other property start rent seeking do all these things to protect the cow because you had cows now right they, they didn't have this before i'm oversimplifying this a little bit okay so um it's the same with this dow where now you have this asset and it becomes about community engagement around how's the asset distributed, right? And it works. It's it's a workable way of, of dealing with this. And we see major corporations now jumping on this. The better DAO model that, that I see is the work-to-earn DAO model, where we're, we're, we're reinventing how people make a living with each other for the community, through the community. That's the pure model. That's what the voting engine, the, the engagement is all about. Now, the capital-driven, uh, here's a sponsored asset model works as well. And the reason why I'm supporting this is because it's it's seeds of, we're talking horizontal scaling and new communities, right? These, these capital-intensive DAOs, they are seeding other DAO communities that are over, over time attracting market-based fees, which is, in my humble opinion, a way to, to help DAOs proliferate. And that's why I support the capital-heavy DAOs as well. Okay, so in a way, what we're doing here is we're we're deconstructing Ronald Coase, uh, the Coase uh, theory of the firm. And that theory, for the people who aren't familiar with it, basically says that the reason corporations or companies exist is that if you had a bunch of individual people, let's imagine some medieval environment where there are guilds of people who are making various things, it's quite expensive to go around town and assemble every single thing that you need uh, to, to run a business you end up having to do transactions with all these different merchants and vendors and artisans and so forth. And so at some point, um, you, you can scale better, more efficiently by hiring those people. And now you eliminate the internal transaction, those external transaction costs. And now you have the cost of paying employees, but they do what they're told. They deliver their work uh, and you don't have to negotiate for each and every item, every, each and every input into your, into your business. That's the theory of the firm. It's about m minimizing transaction costs. That's, that's yeah. why corporations exist. And that's why they scale to great size. And, but now and we're you talking perpetuate about, this with the yeah. smart contracts. Right? So smart contracts is really in this logic that you just illustrated. It perpetuates the firm through the smart contract by, by, by increasing transaction cost minimization. Right. That's that's only the first step within the firm structure. Now okay, we're stepping so that's the problem that smart contract exactly. solves is yes. uh, is reducing transaction costs inside the corporation yes. or the firm. But you're describing something very different. I mean, this is like a radically different notion, which is a highly distributed, decentralized community of communities. Really, it's uh, it's a group, a loose linking of communities that cooperate with each other. Now, clearly there's inefficiency because now that we have to negotiate transactions, right? So how much of that can be automated? I'm sure there's a lot of work being done there to, to, to make that, to minimize that, that friction. So uh, the way that we, we see this play out right now is that one community says, we need this work done. We don't know how to do it. We just don't have the expertise. Can you guys do it? And guess what? These guys, they're, they're, they're saying, yes, we can do it. We have the expertise and we like what you do. We see how you're working. How can we how can we organize right? So it always becomes about how can we organize as a new community to serve the first community. 
we've seen this happening multiple times. As I said, we are now at some seven DAOs total. What we really need is an, an inexpensive market barrier lowering uh, cloning engine aggregator for DAOs, right? And that's, uh, Robert, you may see that the products such as SuperDAO, Colony, Aragon, there's a whole bunch of these that are, that are starting to offer this. The problem with how they're offering, in my humble opinion, is that they're focusing on the capital-heavy fundraising ideas around DAOs, where they're saying, hey, use our DAO platform to issue NFTs and tokens. We'll help you. We'll set you up. And oh, by the way, there's a community. <laughs> yeah. So uh, whereas I'm saying, no, it's you need to lower barriers to entry for the communities and catalysts by giving them an inexpensive way of seeding new communities with the same voting engine, same, uh, same governance setup to serve the first community. So part of the efficiency is that you're using the same tools for voting and governance. Correct. And actually, there's also another kind of efficiency. There's a learning curve, right? So it's you're also curve. eliminating and, the learning curve. The beauty is all these all these service provider DAOs, they're now helping the new community do all those things. So it's policy and they writing, reinforce each admin other. stuff, you know, payment rails, accounting, all these things have to get done, right? Yeah. And we need, the problem is the costs are still too high, right? So we need to find a way to find a DAO aggregation system that allows us to bring the cost down and, and seed all these communities. And Robert, that sounds like an I'm opportunity to, to yeah. build that DAO aggregation system. That's exactly what I'm working on. Yeah. Okay, cool. Tell me about some industries where this would be useful. Like, like what are the businesses that DAOs can handle? Okay. Certainly software development makes perfect sense, right? Because engineers can write code from anywhere. You don't need to have an office. Engineers can be managed from anywhere. You can, you know, you can you can check their work. They check it in each yeah. night. You can have a code yeah. review and so forth. So, th so that's and that's effectively what you're doing at DevDAO, right? Yes, I mean, if you see all these commuting uh, technological nomads, right, where people yeah. have, and this was proliferating through the. Um, the, the the COVID years, right? Uh, 2020 following, where people have decided, okay, I, I cannot go to the office anyways. I need to work on the on the beach somewhere, right? I need to be alone in a house somewhere. Okay, so now all of these people that are still thinking about, oh, I need to make a living, I need to work for this corporation, but I kind of want to do my own thing, they are perfectly positioned for work to earn type engagements in DAOs, right? And that's one of the reasons why DAOs are proliferating so quickly. Because people are saying, I don't, you know, I don't want to go to the office. I don't want to work in a corporate structure necessarily. So there's this new, this new work to earn structure, which is driven by this DAO engine, right? Um, where where people are are now starting to to engage on that level. Um, so okay, so sorry, what was the original question? <laughs> I'm well, getting. So I'm interested to find out what businesses might make sense. Yes. Like what? What if okay. someone's listening to this? They say, "Gee, I want to start a design agency," or someone else Absolutely. might say, "Gee, I want to do medical devices." You know, I mean, there's so many different industries. I'm wondering which ones would be appropriate for a down. Right. So there is, as you as you identified earlier, there is the um, the creative industry. There's the mm -hmm. freelance industry. There's a the technical industry. Uh, developers, I mean, everything started with the developer communities, right? Because yeah. they were prone to, and gaming. Gaming is very important as well. Yeah. Um, so the dematerialized but, businesses, the businesses yes. that are defined so by low, software. Low, but, yeah, everything that is uh, low asset, light asset businesses, 
right? Okay. Uh, they are they are primary uh, targets for this for this community engagement and okay. work to earn model. However, okay. having said that, there are a lot of leads that I see in the 501c3 environment where people are identifying uh, the wish to, to create legacies through communities for their nonprofit entities. These are centralized nonprofit entities that are mm. very actively looking towards community creation in a DAO environment to create legacy for these 501c3s. And so this I don't is want a to DAO that's adjacent to an organization. It might be a 501c3. Exactly. You can even imagine that's, a corporation, yeah. and then alongside it, there's a DAO that's a community. That, that's exactly right. Yeah. So we are, and I can't name names right now, but there's some very, very influential 501c3s that have are very, very actively working with us in trying to identify the innovation potential of DAOs and the community building around their, their existing structures in a 501c nonprofit environment. And this is, in, in my mind, this is going to be one of the products um, where, where we, we will see, we will see um, a lot more DAO proliferation. Now, the tricky part for that, of course, is that um, you have the the old affecting the new, right? So there's this translation barrier, there's uh, uh, education that has to happen, but we, I, I'm seeing a lot of progress and I'm I'm pretty confident that we'll I have see. to imagine the toughest one is the psychology around relinquishing control. Yes, Because course. all hierarchical organizations, whether it's yeah. a nonprofit, charitable, 501c3, yeah. or a regular corporation, or even a partnership, an LLC, Absolutely. All of these things involve some element of control by a relatively small number of people who enjoy Correct. that power and exercise it, right? Correct. And now you're saying to them, relinquish that power to a community and trust us, they're going to make better decisions. That's a gigantic so, psychological leap. Yeah. So the way this can be, this problem can be mitigated is by simply saying, run parallel tracks. Keep your power, but, but you, you owe it to yourself and the future of your venture to have a parallel track through a community, which you are part of, right? You're helping see this community. And the beauty is you see very quickly how much people can actually become catalysts in the new community, right? So the old business, if people want to control, they're not necessarily becoming good catalysts for community building, right? And so these parallel tracks allows you to identify who can actually do the job in the new community and gets the merit and who can't, and those people stay in the old structure. Right, and mm -hmm. then at some point you 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 shift uh, you shift the the asset base. That's long down the road, right? Because you, you, it's all about trust, right? How can I how can I trust this community? I can't control the community. Community governs itself, right? So it becomes about how much do we need the community for? What elements do we need the community? And there's some back and forth. A lot of what we do initially is just doing licensing agreements, right? So existing 501c says, okay, we're going to give them our name. We're going to provide some assets in. We'll see what they can do. And then the community engages, right? And some people are being carried over. Other people are staying. So there's diff there are different ways of handling these, these um, transition um, issues. But we see a lot of 501c3s. Now, um, one of the things we talked about earlier was efficiency. And, and I'm thinking, well, if you have the community voting on everything, that could get to be quite a tax on their efficiency, right? That might occupy a lot of time. But you mentioned briefly that there's one way to control that, which is to shorten the interval, the number of uh, sentiment votes. You know, for a very big decision, there might be a series of votes where we get to see consensus forming. 
But for smaller decisions, maybe that interval is very short. Maybe it's just one round of voting. Tell me how that works. As a matter of fact, in the end, machines will be voting. Okay, You can actually teach machines certain basic parameter voting routines where the machines will execute automatically. Right. So that is, of course, not the community uh, audit function. Right. So when we talk about efficiency, um, how efficient is it in an existing corporation for a small group of maybe 10 people to sign up on a work product, uh, which they have themselves created and don't see all the flaws? Right. Now we're talking about having to hire experts and reviewing it and, you know, duplicating uh data, et cetera, et cetera, right? So here in the DAO environment, every decision, every work product goes through a community audit. Community looks at this and community upvotes the work product. The amount of governance decisions themselves also depend on the community, right? So there will be some communities, uh, I'm working in several, where there's a lot of on ongoing governance decisions, where they do every minutia, it's governed by community engagement. There are other communities that, that say, okay, we're only dealing with governance decisions that, uh, as a community, that affect our, our core governance parameters, right? Where the, where the engine is set up, hey, here are the governance parameters. If you change it, you need to upvote this as a community, right? And in those communities, there's maybe one or two governance votes a year, right? Everything else is just work product, community okay. audit. And that community audit is, I mean, it's a community work product. So the community of experts is interested and wants to engage around the work product because it helps them optimize their own skill sets and quite frankly, helps them optimize their reputation score in within the community, right? So there is engagement, there's game theoretical, endorphin releases, all these things because people want to know about what others are doing because, because it helps them optimize their own skill sets. And with that, increase their, their bottom line. Well, and so when reputation score is involved, it's the community is evaluating, let's say my work, if I were part of a DAO, the community is going to make an evaluation of my of my work. First, they're going to make an evaluation of me as I apply to join the community, right? So I have to say, hey, here I am. Here's my credentials and so forth. And the community will With say, your work product. It's always about work product, right? It's not okay. about necessarily who you are. Currently, right. that's still afflicting us because we need to know who you are. There's KYC requirements, all these things, right? Yeah. But ultimately, it's about the work product. We don't care who you are. We care about what can you do, right? And and can we use the skill set? And can you audit other people with the same skill set? That's what this is about. And then does the is the um, decision to allocate reputation tokens to a person who contributes? Is that automated? Is it regular? Like how is it, or how is it not just an arbitrary decision? Um, and how is it possible to prevent people with charisma who are persuasive from getting maybe uh, uh, too much compensation? Okay, so. Um, I can walk you through the 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 token minting algorithm if you want. Uh, it's maybe a little bit too much for this uh, podcast yeah, and okay. the audience. But can you um, summarize it? Like, tell so, me the result of it. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. So the the baseline is this: if you work for a market based fee, your work can be quantified. The quantification of the value, the market-based value of your work results in a reputation minting engagement. So the, the market-based fee that comes to the community is used to mint reputation. And that reputation goes, goes partially to the worker, the person who did the job and who's getting onboarded with this job into the community. And the other part of that uh, minting engagement 
based on the market-based fee goes to the community for auditing the workers, the newly incoming workers' performance. Yeah, and that's that's how that's how it goes on every single engagement. You bring money to the community, we audit you, you get reputation as but because you have reputation, you participate in the community payout prorated to your reputation score. Yeah. And how do people accumulate more reputation than others? Is does that, I mean there's sometimes you're going to have a rock star who's 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 valued yeah. by the community, the, right? The more you work, the more your work gets upvoted and the more value you generate for the community, the more reputation you get quickly. Mm-hmm. Now, not everybody can do every job. Not everybody will get selected to do a job, right? So there are different ways of organizing the selection criteria for doing certain jobs. But what it does do is the young people who are gunning for it and who are making time available, they, are, they have a very good shot at doing the, doing the work, building expertise, getting upvoted, and getting becoming superstars in the community relatively quickly. Right. Yeah? And so it's all about the merit and the merit identifiers. And quite frankly, the older farts, such as myself, in the communities, uh, we benefit from that young blood and we benefit from seeing what they do and helping supervise it. And we should be paid a lot less for our audit work because we want to make sure that the young guns come in and do the do the job and, and perpetuate and grow the community. Oh, it's a really smart structure, too, because you're going to incentivize the best people to do the best work, right? It, it, it very you can imagine that relatively quickly, and I mean months, not years, someone could start to be, uh, could emerge from a community with a great reputation. And that reputation is better than a CV or a resume. It's better than any kind of LinkedIn profile. It's better than a network of, you know, reference letters. Uh, because it's, it's, it says speaks for this itself. person actually does the job. And it does it, right. This person does it so well that the, yeah. all these other people in this community say this person is great. Yeah, it's, and, you, and you can't get that score without doing the job. There is no FaceTime. There is no, hey, you know, let me talk to the boss and get a good eval. They, they, it's just not there, right? So it's about what do you do and how does everybody like you and your work, right? Not like you, like your work, sorry. So it's a super interesting question because we're now at the brink of a whole other topic, which is about identity and identity and decentralized systems, which I dearly would love to go into with you. But we don't have time. Maybe we'll no, do it no, again in the future. No, no, let's do it quickly. Absolutely. I'm very excited about this. So I've written about this quite a bit. So, Robert, you now know how these DAOs work, how reputation scores work. Now, let's say there's 10 DAOs, you know, the knitting DAO, the karate DAO, making this up, right? The, the coding DAO, the um, this highly specialized Rust development DAO, et cetera, et cetera, right? And you have a score in every single one of those DAOs, okay? Because you work, you engage, you earn a living, and you're part of these communities. That's that those scores, the totality of these scores become your identity in the universe of DAOs. And in my opinion, they become your metaverse identity. If depends on how the metaverse companies are engaging with this, but they become their self-sovereign identity. It's because it's the underlying merit the specific community upvoted merit in all of these communities that you're part of, which shows who you are. You're, you know, you're in the philosopher DAO because you're a deep thinker and people upvote you. Then there's the karate. And all these things you do and where you're coming from, where where you have developed through a lifetime and through the DAOs where you've developed merit, that becomes you in these communities and to other communities who, who don't know you. 
right? Right. If, That's if right. I it's a very strong signal. It's yeah. a strong signal to people Absolutely. who don't know you. And actually, this brings us back to your point about anonymity. You don't need to know me or my background or my history or where I went to college or what I studied or my degree or what any of that, you know, that that's how we evaluate people today. It's all about your history and your past. Exactly. You're saying identity is something that can be constructed as a series of contributions to communities, not one, but many. And then across all those communities, there's going to be a cumulative, you know, kind of profile that tells you about my interests, my acumen, uh, where I'm useful or where I can make a positive contribution. That's going to telegraph a great deal more to newcomers, to people I've never met before. Uh, about me because it's verified by a community. It's verified by a group of people who've been right there alongside, working alongside with me. Well, we'll we could go on and on, but I'm afraid we've got to bring it to an end. So can you give me a little bit of a prediction for the future? Like, How do you see this unfolding? Where do you think DAOs are going to go this year, next year? How many will, will there be in the future? Okay, I, so total DAOs, um, I'm talking about all DAOs, including the fundraising DAOs. I think we have around 50,000 right now, maybe more. Incredible. Uh, by the end of the year, I think we're going to double that to 100,000 or more. Um, but long-term, the, the DAOs that, that have decentralized governance, they will, over time, in my opinion, proliferate into what I would call a reputa- reputation economy, where, where, where communities build identity and allow people to earn a living in work to earn environments through these communities with each other. And I think that's all the digital nomads, they're, they're prone, primed for this, right? This is coming. I've, I can already see it. It'll take some time because you have to build the tool sets and the community and the dashboards and the UXs and all these things have to be optimized. But I, th- I see that's, that I think that's where it's going. And I would call it the, the reputation economy because you're making a living in work to earn environments through your reputation scores in these DAOs. That's how I look at it. Great. On that note, let me bring it to an end. Thank you very much. My guest today has been Professor Wolf Kahl. He's the author of the book, Decentralization. He's an expert in the subject. And we've been talking about DAO governance and I've enjoyed that conversation immensely. You're listening to The Futurists. Um, And in our next episode, my friend and business partner, Brett King will join me again. He's traveling today, so he couldn't be here for this particular meeting. But he'll be with us next week. Wolf, thank you so very much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for The Futurists this week. If you like the show, we sure hope you did. Please subscribe and share it with the people in your community. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can ping us anytime on Instagram and Twitter at at Futurist Podcast for the folks that you'd like to see on the show or the questions that you'd like us to ask. Thanks for joining. And as always, we'll see you in the future.